Dot Net Rocks, episode 1106, with guest Suze Hinton. Recorded Friday, February 20th, 2015. Hey, hey. Hey. Hey, what's up? Uh, I said I took my dog to dental surgery this morning. You did what? Uh, he's got a bad tooth, and they have to completely sedate him. So I got him up early. He wasn't allowed to have any water or anything. We went for an early walk. He was so excited, and I betrayed him by walking him to the dentist oh. or to, the, to the vet's office. Now he's got trust issues on top of a hurting mouth. <laughs> so is it because all the fish bones you feed him? It's something like that. Yeah, it's uh, that's the most spoiled dog I've ever seen. He's seriously. a middle-aged dog now. He's ten years old, and I took him in for his his physical. And they're like, ah, you know, I think his tooth's going bad. We better we better fix it up. So. Well, ask me what's going on in my world. What's going on in your world, buddy? Well, what's going on in my world is Music to Code By is taking the world by storm. Congratulations, man. It's really good. Well, apparently everybody thinks so. The verdict wasn't in until uh, the feedback came in, and the feedback is wonderful, even from uh, uh, you know people who were skeptical at first. So that's pretty good. And Mark Seaman himself even said, yeah, I like number two best. Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah. He's the, he was the inspiration for that whole thing, wasn't he? Yeah, he certainly was. Hey, I got something really neat for uh, Better Know Framework today. Well, hit me. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right, well, you know, I, I promise... Uh, many people have told me to stop saying the word stupid to describe the music for Better Know Framework. <laughs> okay. I promise to never use the word stupid. Let's just call it asinine. <laughs> All right. I, know, I like, there was, I think we're on a road trip somewhere where you just sort of said, you know, I play real instruments too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why don't they come out and list, you know, tell me, oh, you know, boogie groove. Wow. That's awesome. No, no, no. It's this stupid little, oh, I'm sorry. They did it Asinine again. <laughs> little theme song. Inane. Is that a better word? Inane. Inane dribble. There you go. Anyway, people uh, love it. They have sung it to you. That's true. <laughs> Manchester. In Manchester, England, we got a whole crowd to, to chant data, data, data. All right. Um, this is actually something that I went looking for and I hadn't bought one of these. Oh, but it's a touchscreen monitor that oh, you yeah. can run on any computer. And I think it's probably represents the best in class right now. Hmm. It's uh, if you go to uh, tinyurl.com slash hp23tm, it's a 23 inch HP USB touchscreen monitor. So what happens is you just plug the HDMI in, of course, and then you plug a USB in and magically it's touch enabled. Like, you know, Windows just says, oh, let me let me install this, and and then it's just magic. Nice. I never had to put in a CD. I never had to download any drivers. It just works. And interestingly enough, it it doesn't look like it's capacitive touch. It looks like it's optical. Oh, that's the that's sort of the old style. Yeah, which kind of uh you know surprised me a little bit, but apparently this one has the best um, rating on Newegg. Hmm. And it's 300 bucks, 23 inches. And like I said, it just works and it works great. So I, like I said, I never had a need to buy one of these. 
and bolted on, but I, you know, this and a NUC and an Intel NUC make a really nice combination. Well, that's basically what I did with my new kitchen computer. Although I didn't use that monitor, I, there was a Dell 27 inch mm. that, which I think is capacitive touch. And that mm-hmm. was exactly the rig with the NUC. Yeah. Cause just, you know, you don't really want a keyboard banging around in that space. So right. while there is a keyboard tucked away, if you really, really need one, nobody ever takes it out. They just type on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. It's really cool. Nice find, dude. Yeah. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's uh, talking to us, Richard? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1031. And that is the con- the show we did with Pete Brown where we were talking about Internet of Things, mm-hmm. you know, trying to stay topical, so to speak. And this comment comes from Terry Burns Dyson, who says, another great show and a fascinating topic. I've been collecting little pieces of equipment to try and put into play around my home for the past couple of years. Mm. I find the whole idea of extending the home fascinating. I particularly enjoyed the idea of strapping an iPad to my fridge because I want to extend this not only managing the products in my fridge, but managing the entire household from kids' parties, after-school activities, birthday shopping lists, thermostats, the whole thing. Which is why I put the computer in the kitchen, too, you know? Yeah. And I'm with you, Richard. A smart dishwasher would be an awesome thing. Unfortunately, we do have to seek buy-in from the majority stakeholders, and that is our significant others. Yes. Yes. If it can't pass a significant other test, it's not going to make it. I do feel that it will probably take the next generation to take some of these things to the extent that we can only dream about right now because they're much more accepting of the technology. You know, there's a great quote when Einstein first came up with uh, general relativity, this whole idea, and it was, and it was superseding Isaac Newton's right. uh, laws around gravita- uh, around the way gravity worked and, and so forth. And they, and they said, well, well, how long do you think it's going to take for it to be accepted? And uh, Einstein said, first, the old physicists have to die. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he had a way with words, didn't he? Yeah, he sort of got right to it. Yeah, uh, But uh, Terry goes on to a point I really wanted to talk about, which is, I do worry, though, that the acceptance of this stuff comes with complacency and laziness. Our children now have an issue with detachment from devices, so I don't know what this means for the future. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about convenience, but seeing commercials for cars with built-in Wi-Fi hotspots, meaning you don't have to disconnect for a second even when going camping concerns me Mm. in a world as beautiful and rich as we have we have to be careful about what we're teaching our future generations and that we don't lose the ability to communicate or live without this technology yeah Uh, thanks for a great show i really look forward to more talks on iot and i'm off to build something cool with the ideas i now have now a couple of thoughts and i've said this before too we are i feel like a unique generation because we're immigrants to this synthesis of pc and internet you know, to, to even make it possible. So we're way more excited about it than any of the natives. We were there at the beginning. We were there at the beginning. We remember a time before, right? Yeah. And I've always equated the way my grandmother's relationship with the refrigerator compared to mine. Right. I'd always had one. So leaving it open just didn't seem like a big deal. But my grandmother went nuts when I left the fridge open. That's right. So, and I, my kids and your kids have had internet their whole lives. They think nothing of it. Right. It's just, or it's a normal thing. Uh, and I don't call that complacency. They're never going to be as enthusiastic. They just treat it differently and arguably healthier long term. Hey, I don't mean to go into such a great diversion, but it's a uh, a pretty cool story. Check out the uh, podcast Invisibilia. 
And uh, this is an NPR podcast. It's fairly new. They've just finished their first season. Anyway, there's a, a show called Our Computers, Ourselves. Nice. And uh, there's three stories in there. They're all awesome. But one of them is about one of the guys who was on the design team for Google Glass. Turns out that in the 90s, in 1993, he has strapped a computer to his body and hasn't has had a computer as part of his being you know, in sort of cyborg ever since. And he only takes it off to shower and sleep. Nice. And Amber Case made that story to us when we talked to her that you, as long as you're carrying a piece of technology, you are a cyborg. It's an extension of yourself. You just keep it outside your body because it's easier to upgrade that way. But it, what's really cool is when he went to, uh, I think it was MIT, he uh, graduated and they almost wrote on his doctorate you know, Massachusetts Institute of Technology hereby grants the honorary degree of doctorate to whatever his name is, Thad somebody, and his device. Nice. Because he made clear that I am one with this thing. Right. So so the device gets part of the credit for his doctorate degree. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, Terry's closing point about staying connected with reality uh, and not being dependent on technology, I it almost think it's not fair because mm. you're dependent on technology too. You still drove to your camping site. Yeah. You probably don't know how to make fire without any equipment. Mm. You know, we are dependent on technology already. Mm. There's just another generation of technology coming along that creates new levels of dependency. You just got to be able to manage them adequately and recognize as an older generation, those new dependencies will always seem foreign to us. And uh, they argued on the show that this new stage of technology will so fundamentally change who we are that uh, we can't really put it in the same category as eyeglasses or, you know, the toothbrush or that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's another show. For sure. And maybe a geek out, too, because when you Could think be. about what genetically an ancient Egyptian is the same as us, but with no... Nothing other than muscle power in, uh, around them. They couldn't even imagine our world. Right. It's inconceivable. We were radically changed from them. Yep. Okay, where were we? <laughs> we were going to... I was going to thank Terry very much for his comment, because yeah. uh, it's a good one and certainly stimulated a bunch of conversation so much we forgot where we were. Uh, thank you, Terry. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our esteemed guest today, Suze Hinton. Suze is a JavaScript developer who likes to tinker with hardware. A maker at heart, she's no stranger to minor burns from soldering irons and 3D printers. She's a regular contributor to the open-source Node.js electronic scene and enjoys teaching others how to immerse themselves in the nerdiverse. I love that word, Suze. Welcome. Thank you so much. I like that word, too. <laughs> nerdiverse. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's an adequate description of kind of when we end up going on tangents as tech people and as programmers, right? Yeah. Well, that just uh, happened. That's right. Richard and I just took a trip to the Nerdiverse and we came <laughs> back. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're building IoT devices for real. Like you've got real stuff to talk about, not right. uh, lab samples and things. <laughs> I don't know how financially or business viable they are, but I think that's kind of the point as right. to why I make them, yes. So what's your fave? 
<sighs> I think my favorite would be the meow shoes, actually. Meow shoes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> okay, let me give you a bit of background story. Um, I remember when I first got into Arduino, um, it was a, a number of years back, and I just thought it was so cool that you could take just like this microcontroller, and for those who aren't sure what that is, a microcontroller is essentially a small piece of convenience circuitry that allows you to kind of plug things into it, like input and output. And it takes care of a lot of the kind of bare metal computing for you. So you can just work with the data in and work with the data out. And so when I learned about Arduinos and I was like, you can plug sensors into them and you can make musical instruments and things like that. I got so excited and I thought, what would I even do with this? And I thought, what if, what if I, you know, you put a pair of shoes on and you start dancing, and, and dancing is such a visual medium, and you tend to dance to music. And this isn't a very new idea what I ended up doing, but I wanted to give it a try. Mm. And I thought, what if as you're dancing, you're actually creating the music you're dancing to simultaneously, right? <laughs> and so there's no way that you could ever dance off beat. Um, <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a terrible dancer, and so... <laughs> you might not dance off beat, but that beat might be really weird. True, right? very, very true. <laughs> and, and, and so I sat on that idea for a number of years, um, you know, because I know it's not a, a highly original one. And I ended up going to a hackathon, and it was a fashion hackathon. And wow. the first, you know, and, and I thought, this is so cool. You know, and so some people were making fashion-related software, and I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to do these shoes, and, and it's going to work. And I have two days, and this is probably the best motivation I've had to do it. And so um, I ended up putting like pressure sensors in the toes and the heels of a pair of shoes that I just bought from Walmart the night before. And so when you put them on, you know, depending on how much pressure you're putting on each heel and toe, that sends a signal to the computer saying, you know, you've pressed the the left toe and you can actually then take over from there and, and play the appropriate sounds. And the reason why I called them meow shoes was the test that I was doing when I was hacking this together at the hackathon, I just picked random like cats meowing and I was assigning the sounds to the pressure sensors that way. So that's how they got their name. We're going to get old pretty fast. Oh that my remi- goodness. Yes. That reminds me of the dusting boots that you put on your dog for your hardware floors. Pet sweep. <laughs> There's yes. a, a picture at tinyurl.com slash dog polisher. Cause I figured there's no way tinyurl.com dog polisher is taken. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. It did annoy a lot of people because we were getting into the crunch time of the hackathon. You know, we were almost at the presenting stage and all people heard was just these shrill meows coming from the cheap speaker <laughs> of the laptop. <laughs> hey, you but, can play the Meow Mix uh, cat food commercial from the 70s yes. if you're that yes. old, if you remember that. Yeah, meow, 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 meow. That's, that's fast feet, though. It's four notes, though, so you can actually assign those notes to the four senses in the shoes. It's perfect. That's great. That's, hor- that's horrible. That's what that actually Do you is. have a cat? Did the cat react? Actually, I, I used to have cats, but um, after moving to America, I didn't end up getting a cat. So by then, it was too late. Mm. But I imagine that the cat wouldn't be too pleased either. I, I think um, the cat would probably be indifferent. That's their... <laughs> That's their MO, right? 
Yes. Well, apparently it didn't annoy the judges too much because I ended up winning that hackathon, which was pretty awesome. That's well, awesome. That's great. <laughs> so four sensors, some cabling and so forth. What's the software stack look like? Yes. Yeah, so that's actually a really good question. Um, with the Arduino, you can write all sorts of different languages, you know, to interface with it. But the most common is like a, a form of processing. And processing is kind of like C. And it's used with, you know, a lot of visual artists use it to create like really complex mathematical art. And so, you know, using the Arduino, it's a very similar language and it has its own IDE to use. But it can be really clunky because you, you have to write the code, you compile and you upload and then the device restarts itself and then you have to keep like doing that over and over again. And that's that's okay. And a lot of programmers don't mind that. But I'm predominantly front end. And so I'm all about the instant gratification, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, I'm, I'm sure there's a way to do this with JavaScript. Um, and so I was, you know, Googling around. And, you know, I found a Node.js library um, called Johnny5. And it's fantastic. It's written by, um, who is now a friend of mine, um, Rick Waldron, and essentially um, you upload this library that comes with the Arduino IDE, and it's called Fermata. And Fermata acts almost like an API. So once you've uploaded that that standard script to the Arduino itself via USB, you can actually um, just send bits and bytes over serial, you know, over USB cable to your Arduino. And of course, you can use any language to do that. You can use Python or mm. you can use Perl even, you know, um, anything you like. And so Johnny5, the Node.js library, actually interfaces with that Fermata API, which is really cool. So that's what I use to create the Meow Shoes. Isn't there a processing JS language that sort of does both or bridges the gap somewhere? Yes. So that is a relatively new thing. And what it's trying to do is instead of having to learn lots of different languages, um, you can just use JavaScript to write processing. So I think that's still more towards the art spectrum, but mm. it's kind of trying to, I, I'm feeling this JavaScript movement where everyone's <laughs> trying to create the JavaScript equivalent of everything, which yeah. is kind of interesting, right? Boy, it sure is. And, you know, it turns out some Frankenstein sometimes. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how much is running in the shoes and how much is a, sort of an external device? That's a really good question, too. So the, um, the Fermata script is pretty small. Um, all it does is it connects to all of your inputs and outputs on the Arduino. Mm -hmm. um, it can report back values to you if you've got sensors attached, such as a pressure sensor. And then you can also send data to it, such as turning like an LED light on. So that script there is kind of super generic. And then most of the code is actually on the computer itself. Right. And and so you can like communicate that code via USB or you can do it via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. You know, that's up to you. But most of the actual kind of data crunching you're getting from the pressure sensors and the music you're playing and things like that, that's all running on your machine with a Node.js um, service. And then you're actually just using sockets to communicate to the browser in order to play sounds and things. So JavaScript front and back. Totally, yes. That's what I love so much about Node.js is you can do the full stack thing now with JavaScript. Mm. It's really interesting when we talk about wearables that, uh, you know, these choices that you need to make. Do I use Bluetooth to go from my feet to my pocket? Do I, you know, 
do I have wires going sewn into my clothes or whatever? <laughs> um, the, you know, it usually ends up being sort of, um, you know, slapped together and brittle and fragile. Don't you think? I mean, uh, that those are, those are choices that are dictated by, you know, who's going to wear it in what situations. And is it just a fun thing or is this something we can actually use? I mean, you know, a lot of people use their phones for those, uh, for the devices that communicate, you know, via Bluetooth or whatever, because the phone's got all these other things in it. Is there any, have you ever done anything like that where you use the phone as the main, uh, cruncher of data and then just put a, a sensor somewhere, uh, without a, without a board? Yes, I actually have. And so, Again, I'm trying to stay with the JavaScript. So, you know, I'm, I've been writing like a phone gap app and essentially it's a glorified, um, internet service provider, I guess, you <laughs> know, for, a, <laughs> for a Bluetooth device. So what it can do is, um, Bluetooth is a really good technology to use for wearables because, you know, out of Wi-Fi and out of Bluetooth Classic, like I'm actually talking about Bluetooth Low Energy, which is the latest spec here. Mm. It uses the lowest amount of energy out of all of those wireless technologies. And it was invented specifically for things like wearables and medical devices. You oh. know, there are, there are medical um, specs in the actual protocol, which is really cool. Um, and so using that, you know, most people have a phone on them at all times. You know, it's a religious thing, as you guys were speaking about recently. Like, we've all become cyborgs. And so, like, that's a pretty much guaranteed use of internet wherever that person is. And so, that's another advantage. And so, what I wanted to do was report, um, you know, periodically report data from this wearable and the phone app just kind of collects it. And if And if it's at a certain reading, it can then, like, dispatch, like, a an API request to an external service. And then it can just go and tell the Bluetooth device, Hey, I made the request. And like, it's a very simple little transaction there, but, um, you know, a little iPhone app is actually really convenient, really fast to make. And again, guarantees that kind of always connected sort of thing. Do you see Bluetooth being used in, uh, devices or IOT devices where security is kind of critical? <laughs> uh, that's actually very interesting because uh, historically Bluetooth has never been very secure. And so <laughs> Red, even not secure at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so even the, um, even the latest Bluetooth spec, you know, there are some security recommendations, but any off the shelf device that you buy these days, um, it's not just my stuff that I make in my spare time. It just has like little to zero security on it. Um, yeah, aren't, there, aren't there two passwords, one, 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 and one, two, three, four, and that's it, right? Yeah, it's, so you pretty it's, much it's hack either like one that. of those. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> definitely something like that. The problem is that like, um, enabling really good security on your devices actually requires a lot of memory as well. And so if you're using, um, you know, a really small, low power sort of Arduino or, you know, other professional microcontroller, you're actually limited in, you know, even just the the tokens and the keys and the encryption that you can use because if you're trying to run a bunch of code that actually controls your device and then on top of that, you're also running all these security libraries, that is kind of a big challenge right now. We just don't have a lot of memory to work with. And so that's one of the limitations. And the rest, I think, just comes down to 
laziness and users and, and consumers not being aware of these security issues at all. And it's their data a lot of the time. You know, it's it's a fitness device or it's a, a heart rate monitor and they have no idea that that information can just be grabbed by the person sitting next to you at the cafe. <laughs> I remember going to a security conference. This is a lot of years ago when Bluetooth was brand new. And one of the uh, White Hats had built a Bluetooth rifle because he'd put such a powerful antenna on it, he needed to use a scope to aim it accurately enough. And he was connecting to early cell phones like Nokia 9600s that had like the first Bluetooth chipsets in them from half a mile away and was wow. able to and was able to dump the address book out of it. That's incredible. Because they just had exactly no security, it. right? Yes, exactly, exactly. It's definitely a problem. Um, I attended a Internet of Things conference a few months ago in Oslo, and that was a big hot topic there because we're obviously at a point where there's a huge saturation of devices on the market and consumers are actually really interested in them. And it's a whole new privacy slash um, safety concern now. You know, it's not just people like me, you know, tinkering on our own stuff anymore. But it does speak to, I mean, the hardware will catch up. It's not that much compute to handle significant certificate keys and to do the initial negotiation for an, a TLS connection. It's just a question of maybe it's the next generation of gear. Correct. Yeah. It's just, but this is not a small piece of overhead. And I'm thinking back to Clemens Vaster's show, Carl, where I mean, that's what, what he was all about was how do we do this right. and, and keep it light enough. Yeah. How small was that Arduino on the shoes? I mean, I look at the picture of the shoe. I suspect that's the power supply I'm seeing on the shoe that's that's sort of beefy. I used an Arduino Micro. And so okay. that is probably maybe two inches by one inch. Or maybe three inches by one inch, something like that. And so it's pretty small. Um, it does have some kind of... It doesn't have the full functionality of like a larger Arduino, but it definitely was more than enough for me to be able to just read four sensors, you know, worth of data and just report that back. Nice. Yeah. And it's, again, it's for the given case, it's pretty small, but, and then, but is power the problem? Like how much battery does that need? Right. So it depends on how you write your script. You can, you can write, you know, obviously some intervals where it will sleep and then it will wake up and report and then it'll go back to sleep again. With something like the Meow Shoes, you want that, that real time communication. And so you can't really do that as easily. Um, the ones that I currently have are actually not Bluetooth. Um, they do communicate by a USB. So the USB cable that goes from the computer and it's a very long cable so that I'm not, you know, tethered to a wall and tripping over it. Um, right. It, it, it does actually provide the power at the same time. Yeah. USB power is enough to run this thing. Yes. However, when you think about Bluetooth devices, if you're just being um, efficient with your battery and things like that, and depending on the size of your rechargeable LiPo battery, you can be running something like a smartwatch that just, you know, shows the time on a screen. You can run that for up to a month without having to recharge. It really just depends on how efficient you want to get with your code. And as I understand it, that's the big problem with using Wi-Fi in this scenario is it just sucks down the battery. Totally, 100%. Um, there was a, a bracelet I made that 
uh, it measures your heart rate. And if you have a, a raised, an elevated heart rate for a, num a number of minutes, it probably means you're having a panic attack. So it will dispatch a request to send you a picture of a kitten on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the first, the first iteration of that used Wi-Fi. And not only do you need like, a bigger battery than like a button cell battery to power that it, which obviously means the price of your device goes up, the size of your device goes up, but it just sucked so much power. And, um, I couldn't run it for, you know, long periods of time, which was frustrating. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, must be that happy time again. You know it. It's time to demonstrate my new IOT device, the woof slippers. <laughs> <laughs> you, you put special slippers on your dog. Then by tapping four buttons on your phone, you can send an annoying buzz to each foot, resulting in hours of family entertainment. <laughs> Not to mention how beautiful your floors will be. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The woof, yeah. Woof slippers. Actually, woof slippers. it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ben Sissons. Congratulations, Ben. Golf clap for you, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, Ben just won the uh, D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from Developer Express. And hey, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guests, Suze, if you had $5,000 to spend right now on technology... This should be good. <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> what would you buy? Oh, my goodness. Um, the first thing I would buy, hands down, is um, like a brand new 3D printer. Um, my current 3D printer at home, it's fantastic, but it's kind of become a Frankenstein's monster. You know, mm -hmm. instead of buying a new printer, I'm just bolting on fancy new things to it. And, it, and then I have to 3D print extensions for it in order to put that new stuff on and so uh, wait a minute you're 3d printing 3d printer extensions yeah so things like <laughs> things awesome. like a, an auto bed leveling sensor you know it, you have to bolt that on somewhere and when your original printer didn't have a spot for it you have to 3d print like a bracket to hold it in place so it's very meta you know the 3d printer is constantly printing upgrades for itself it's evolving <laughs> you know richard we, evolving. didn't we say we knew it would come to this <laughs> the day that you 3d print a 3d printer we're yeah. all dead it's coming so what's the original <laughs> printer under that oh okay so it is a i believe a 2012 printer bot junior so you can't even buy it anymore and it, it's fabulous i think i paid $400 for the kit 
Wow. And I love it to bits. And I 3D print, you know, that little case that we were talking about for the Meow Shoes microcontroller, you know, I printed that on it. So nice. it's great. really handy when you're making Internet of Things devices. But I think it might be time that I just went and bought myself a Rolls-Royce printer where I don't have to keep bolting things onto it. <laughs> Do you have a particular one in mind? Yeah, like I... I don't want to go too high end because I think that the difference in quality just doesn't quite match the more you spend after a certain point. So sure. I, would, I would love to get a Lulzbot Taz 4. I think they're fabulous machines. Uh, recently, I just ran with a friend. I ran a queue of half a dozen of them on a distributed, you know, um, queuing system for a robotics conference. And they were an absolute joy to use and super high quality. Wow. And they, the, the, the Lulz bot ones, they're still very sort of arcane. You, you wouldn't know what it was when you first look at it. It's just sort of arms and stuff. Like, I, you know, I'm a, I was looking at in the $5,000 range, there's the Cube Pros and they look like serious industrial machines, big metal boxes, so forth. But the Lulz just, they look like, what is that? What is that thing doing? <laughs> there are no spare parts on a Lulz bot. Yeah, they're very elegant. That's also what I like about them. And so you know immediately when something's out of place. And and the other ones tend to look like microwaves, as you said. You know, they're yeah. very consumer and pro. But I still kind of like the old school, you know, frames and the metal and the, you know, the, you can actually still see the belts and the pulleys and everything. I still kind of geek out about that. Wait, so you, you you still need an oiler, right? You still have somebody running around with a little can going, tick 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 keeping it going? <laughs> Actually, the, the best thing to keep like a 3D printer going, especially when you're talking about the, the Z-axis, which goes up and down, it's like a, a threaded rod that turns, right? And you just put chapstick on it, and that actually helps <laughs> keep it lubricated. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, you're definitely scoring high on the geeky space here because that's the very geeky way to look at it that is the oiler for the 3d printer i did not know that yeah that's funny <laughs> that is funny but yeah i mean it's it's much it's much more organic when you look at it this way with uh with all the pieces the current version is the taz 5 now and they're still pretty reasonable two grand like yes that's, that's a pretty serious printer they print really fast too we kind of did that thing where we started off a print and then we had to move the printer elsewhere. And this was the last printer to move. And, and we just kicked off this ridiculous print just to put it through its paces to test it out. And we ended up dialing up the speed because you can do that live, which is really cool. And I think we turned it up to like 350% speed, um, which is really fast because normally you print at about 200 millimeters per second, which is fast enough. And it still got through the print and, you know, the quality was slightly lower, but it was amazing just watching that thing just like tearing around, dropping plastic everywhere. It was very wow. impressive. It's a lot of torque. Yes. Using back and forth. Yes, it was There's awesome. something about 3D printing and IoT that seems to go hand in hand. Is it just a maker thing? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, when when makers go into something like Best Buy, they see a product on the shelf, right? And they're like, it does like two things and it would be really great if it did 10 things, but, you know, that's not the market. You know, the market is producing this shallow device that just the everyday user can use, which is perfectly fine. But I think for makers, there's an element of I could do this and I could do it so that it's better suited to me. 
And so, you know, microelectronics have really kind of gotten somewhere now where you can prototype that really quickly and you don't have to create your own custom circuit boards. But the problem was always how do I kind of wrap that up into this super professional looking package? And you had to have some kind of CNC machine and a lot of knowledge to create those kind of housings. And now that's just the perfect use of 3D printing is just making people you know, enabled to make a product from start to finish now, really. There's, it's, there's something very profound about making a case for your gizmo. Yes, like it, I agree with that. It changes everything once it has a case on it. Once it has the case on it and it fits perfectly and it addresses all of the little things that you need and then you get to show somebody the final product it doesn't just look like some mad scientist right. experiment anymore you know it looks fully legitimate which is awesome it's a really great feeling and you say hey i made this yes yeah. exactly. and, and nobody remembers the 30 cases that came before it before it did <laughs> fit perfectly and have everything on it this is very true very very true <laughs> but that's what's awesome is you know you can design something in like as little as 10 minutes now you can print it 20 minutes later you already know your mistake and right. so it's really quick to just get to that final one rather than sending off for it three weeks later it comes back and it's all wrong and that's very depressing when that happens you know <laughs> when it's why people do a wax model or a wood model or you know you you the old way you did a lot of modeling with other materials this is very true yes and the whole idea that you use to you know i I really liken it to what happened with personal printing remember when the laser printer was going to become a personal device and the book industry was up in arms like desktop publishing will destroy the whole thing it's like no it just didn't work that way yeah you know you could prototype with these little printers but you're now prototyping with the document that you can then send to the factory to make this out of aluminum. There is something just so wonderful about a very well done book that you just can't get on a printed, you know, laser printer. You know what I mean? Just yeah. a very well done coffee table book, a hardcover book that, yeah. And same hey. for anything. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I don't want to not talk about the personal ultimate reassurance response, the purr. <laughs> so I touched on this a little earlier. It, that's actually the bracelet that I made. And so um, I kind of have this thing where I actually have um, an anxiety disorder. And usually from day to day, because you're distracted and you're trying to work or you're trying to do something, you're generally not sitting around doing nothing unless you're on vacation, right? Mm. Um, you know, you kind of don't realize that that anxiety is building up until it's at the point where you're really uncomfortable and you're not necessarily prepared to be able to go and find a quiet room or, or just to be able to deal with it. And so, you know, an idea I had was to have something that just monitors you constantly and um, can kind of deal out the appropriate response. And for me, it can be as simple as sending me a very calming picture. And I love cats a lot. And so pictures of kittens were very ideal for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, there's a lot of really cool SMS and email APIs out there. And so that's all taken care of for me. All I have to do is monitor that heartbeat, um, you know, and have the data coming in. And you can buy really cheap heart rate sensors, you know, hobbyist ones these days. Um, And you can just 
you know, monitor that heartbeat um, and, you know, just write a really quick service, especially on your mobile phone where, you know, that's your companion for the day too. And, and then your phone buzzes, you look at it and it's something just to say, hey, are you okay? You know, you might want to take some time out and look at this kitten and start breathing through it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so the heart rate sensor is actually on the wrist? Yes, that's correct. So I ended up, you, you've probably seen the photos. There's this very chunky prototype that I produced and yes. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of trying to combine the, that prototype with like a smartwatch so I can kind of have a two in one and it's going to be a lot nicer, but it had a very retro feel because I 3d printed it just like during a hackathon, which was super fun. And yeah, so it, it just goes on your wrist and it connects to, you know, the closest capillary that it can find. And that's how it monitors your heart rate. Wow. And it's really is just a dedicated sensor. Like that's what the sensor does. Exactly. That's all it does. It, it shines like a very bright light um, onto your skin, and then it can actually kind of see your pulse that way, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> and so just you, you need a library to interpret the, the data. Um, but, you know, they obviously give you that and it's open source. And so it's very, very easy to use. And I presume all of that is your heart rate elevated stuff and so forth is off the device. Yes. So that's all happening um, like off the device where it receives the data. But the actual um, code that is and the library for trying to put that data into something that's easily understood to send to your iPhone, that's actually happening on the device itself. Hmm. That's very cool. Hey, here's a question out of left field. Have you ever been to a hackathon or something and seen somebody's creation and thought, oh, I wish I had thought of that? <laughs> yes, actually. There was this this is a really cute idea, and I actually saw it at um, the hackathon where I made the the per bracelet, and it was a duo and um, you know team, and they got this pillow. And stay with me, stay with me. It's going to sound weird. They got a pillow and they put like a motion sensor in it, and what this motion sensor device did was, let's say your significant other is away on vacation or they're on a work trip or something and and you go to bed and you know the feeling it's just not quite the same when they're not there mm. you know what I mean and so if you're having trouble sleeping or if you miss them you can actually just give your pillow a little shake and it will send them a text message saying hey like I think that you know your loved one misses you you might want to give them a call and so oh. I thought that was just so lovely and I think it was called the lonely pillow <laughs> That's neat. Yeah, there's an. Uh, it reminds me of a couple of devices. First of all, wouldn't it be neat if, when you shook your pillow, your uh, your spouse's or a partner's pillow shook? Oh, so that would be really pillow. adorable. Right, and then the other one is uh, one that um, my wife and I have thought about, which is a uh, a beating heart pillow. So that you know, sounds really nice. Yeah, so you have a pillow that has sort of a simulated heartbeat in it. Oh, so you know, you know feel a little they, pulse. Yeah, I know that they do that for puppies that get separated from right. their mother at and a very young age. And yes, yeah. and babies. And I think that we're never too old for that kind of comfort. I yeah. think that should be a thing for adults too. That's a really great idea. Sure. And it's funny how much of that stuff is still hardwired in your brain. I have installed an app on my main work machine now that changes the 
backlight color to an orange when it's late at night. Yeah. And it makes me sleepy. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, there's this whole thing about how using screens with that daylight temperature screen late in the evening screws up your sleep. That's right. Yeah. And this is the counter to that. I just, if I really, really want to keep working late at night, I have to go to a different computer. Hmm. So. Wow. So like, it's it's like it's trying to stop simulating daylight straight into yeah, your it's, eyes. It's making it evening. And, and I thought it was ridiculous until I just couldn't work late on the machine. It wow. would just knock me out. And same thing. Sometimes I'll come down early before sun is up and it's still orange. And when it's when it goes to daylight mode and comes back up, I noticeably brighten up. Hmm. That is very impressive. I'm going to have to give that a go, I think. It's a very, really clever app. But, it, you know, that has just reminded me we're still biological creatures. Yeah. And the heart rate thing, same thing. We're still very much biological creatures and, and right. heart beats affect us. Yeah, your brain and your body respond to things that are beyond your, uh, below your your conscious thought. Yeah, and you might as well you know work them to your favor. So now right. let's combine the two ideas and have your pillow have a heartbeat that's your loved one's heartbeat. Oh, come on now! There you go. There you go. That's very gadgety, right? Yeah, but Maybe it's also s- very human, isn't it? Yes. You know, just that na- idea that you can hear that heartbeat, and you know, it's your loved one. That's pretty weird and wild, and I think I would try it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> the, I mean, the problem with, you know, I'm, I'm flying off tomorrow to Amsterdam for a consulting gig, yeah. and so I'm going to be nine hours out of phase, which means when my wife's asleep, if her, the pillow was beating with my heart rate, it would be during the day for me. Mm. It's not necessarily going to work. You're not, right. not going to be restful. Yes. And, and, but imagine her calling me because I felt your heart rate go up. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> That is really nice. I thought about having that for the bracelet. Like you have this safe list of people. And so if, um, you know, if your heart rate's elevated, it might let them know so that they mm-hmm. can kind of check in and make sure you're okay. I do like that idea a lot. Yeah. In Richard's case, are you okay? Yeah. I'm climbing a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm late for a meeting and I'm just trying to run there. Yeah. 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 Just trying to get up the hill. <laughs> Just trying to do my exercise. But I do really appreciate this idea of ambient presence. Mm-hmm. Right? That you'd have a sense that the other person's around. I mean, we do that with our cyborg extensions right now. The number of messages we just pass back and forth without them being content per se. Just, I'm out there and I'm thinking of you. Well, look at that app that sold a lot that was one word, right? Yeah. The Yo app? Yo. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's not that just makes the point that it's not what you say, it's that you say yes. that communicates. Yeah, that is the powerful force there. All right, now I'm hooked. Any other gizmos there, Suze? What are you working on? Um, lately, I've been more trying to enable others to do the same thing. You know, uh-huh. like a big thing I get is people are like, how did you even just sit down and do that? And so I realized that even though my stuff is not like, super business oriented, it's still, there's a layer of, you know, it's not accessible. You know, people don't feel like they could just go and buy a microcontroller tomorrow and do the same thing that I did. And the thing is, it's it's really easy. I just got a little obsessed with learning about it. And that's how I got my start. But lately, I've been trying to help write more libraries and write more educational blog posts and things about how other people can go and do the same thing. And so something that I wrote recently um, was actually for the Johnny Five Library. I'm in the middle of trying to write tests 
um, for it so that the library could be merged into Johnny Five. But it controls um, what's called OLED screens. And so if you have a Fitbit, um, almost all of the Fitbits have like a screen that displays, you know, how many steps you've done and things like that. That's actually right. an OLED screen. And the reason why they're so popular in Internet of Things devices is they're really low power. Right. And, and so that's what's awesome about them. But they're still very bright at the same time. And so... You know, there was no um, there was no class in the Johnny Five library that allowed support for you to just you know start sending pictures and text to the screen. And so I sat down um, for a few weeks and just wrote that library from scratch for people. So that's something that I'm more interested in these days. And any devices I make are just kind of an example, a simple example for people to follow along with in order to get started by themselves. That's cool. Building a building a library just to make it a little easier all around. I had I had this idea about um, teaching and what's different about teaching how to do this stuff versus exploring and figuring it out yourself. And I think that that second process, the one that you went through, and the one that you know a lot of us go through when we're learning new technologies, is what makes it fun. It's what motivates us to do more. But if you're just sitting you know, wrote, wrote memorization of, uh, and, you know, repeating of do this step, now do this step, now do that step. After a while, that gets really old and you just want to go do something, right? That is actually very true. And I think part of what's fun about electronics, I know for me is, am I going to blow up the board if I upload this code? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 you know, am I going to plug the LED into the wrong you know, output where there's no resistor limiting the flow. And am I going to blow up something I just spent a hundred dollars on? You know, that, that gives you a bit of a, a bit of a fun game to play. I Suze, think. welcome to my world. Every time I need an adapter, I go to the bucket and I pull one out and I look at it and I make sure, oh yeah, okay, let's, and then I, you know, bow three times to the east and then I plug it in. This is, <laughs> I still don't get the whole amps, you know, what, what do I need more amps or I need less amps? It's more now I know, but I, you know, I went years without figuring that out. And it's one little fact that could change your whole outlook. I definitely feel you, but yeah, I think the, uh, <laughs> the, the rule is, you know, it, it's just going to draw as much as it needs. That's a good thing to remember. Just make sure it's got enough headroom to draw it all right. Yes, Exactly. But we're also, Richard, conditioned that if you put too much power on something that's not ready to receive it, it's going to blow up. I mean, you know, zapping things means I have more power. I'm going to zap you. Right. You know, <laughs> so it's that that's the primal conditioning of zapping and lightning striking that that keeps us from getting that more amps is better than less. Right. How important were the hackathons for you getting involved in all of this? Um, I think that it provides this unique um, motivation for me. A lot of the time, even I sit around and I think I could do this thing and you start running through the steps in your mind and you're like, this is going to take so long or there's going to be lots of steps. And sometimes it can be easier to just not do that, right? And right. Es especially when you come home from work and you're just exhausted and you're like, I have to cook dinner and I have to send all these emails. And so I try and treat hackathons as like, almost like a competitive retreat or like my little, you know, vac mini vacation for myself, you know, to work on whatever I want. And I just make sure that I loosely tie it to the theme of the hackathon. And a lot of the time I'm not really interested necessarily in winning, but I'm trying to create like the silliest thing at the hackathon or I'm trying to create something that I might've been thinking about for a number of, you know, months or years. And I just want to get it out the door as like a, a minimal prototype so that that on a little 
selfish kind of motivation that really, really helps me. That's cool. Are there a lot of, is the resources important? Do you need help along the way? Sometimes actually. So with the uh, meow shoes, I was trying to figure out the, not really an algorithm, but a way of determining if someone was standing still because you don't want the, all of the senses going off like crazy. And so I had a friend at the hackathon late at night. We were walking around the room and then standing and then walking. And we were actually saying like meow, meow, meow out loud because we were trying to track, you know, like what would the pattern be for someone walking or what would the pattern be for someone standing, you know? And so that was really funny. And just bouncing like really hair-brained kind of concepts of somebody right when you're in the middle of it can really help. And right. yeah, usually people are quite amused to, uh, to, to have me bounce those ideas off them. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I totally get the idea of the energy and sort of a dedicated space for it, but it sounds like you're still working on your own project. You just kick ideas around with the folks around you. That's right. A lot of the time, you know, I've come in before to like either just a, a regular hack day where it's just a free for all. It's not a competition. Mm -hmm. And I've said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And sometimes they either think it's too weird or it's too advanced, um, you know, because they might not be as experienced or they might be better at like another aspect of programming. Um, to me, you know, a lot of the time the hardware stuff is still a bit weird at, at hackathons and hack days. Right. And so sometimes it falls down to just, I know I'm probably not going to find anybody that wants to work on the same thing. <laughs> and then sometimes it is just, I, I do get anxious and socially anxious. And so sometimes I just need to do my own thing rather than doing a team thing. Um, but yeah, I think that discovering hardware with like a group of four to five people can be one of the most hilarious days you could ever have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Suze, I got to ask this one last question. Is that a vector tattoo on your forearm? Yes, that is a vector tattoo on my forearm. So for those who are listening, um, about like halfway up my, my upper arm, I have it looks like someone has drawn like a mathematical diagram on my arm. And so there's a bunch of dotted lines and they have arrows, you know, obviously moving out. And then you've got your X, your Y and your Z. And so that represents a vector in 3D space. And so you have to have those three different dimensions. And yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of high school physics, man. <laughs> yeah i've had a few people say things like is that real because it it i wanted it to look like a drawing so it looks like yeah. someone's just doodled on my arm <laughs> that's very cool so where are you going to be next where can people go to uh to find out what you're doing uh i just moved cities actually i moved from the west coast to the east coast i'm now living in new york city um and so that's been putting a hold on things, but I just got all my electronics back out of storage, which is awesome. So what you can do is you can always visit my blog. Um, most of the time, even if it's just something quick and small that I've done, I'll usually share it there. So uh, my online presence generally everywhere is noopcat or noopcat, it actually stands for. So that's N-O-O-P-K-A-T. If you go to uh, noopcat.com, um, my blog is linked there, a bunch of my projects such as the Meow Shoes and stuff you can read <laughs> about. Um, and I'm also actually speaking at a couple of conferences in the next coming months. Um, I'll be speaking at Web Rebels, and that is in Oslo. That's going to be in May. Um, the second batch of tickets just went on sale, but there's one last batch uh, going 
next week, which will be cool. And there's also another one in Oslo called NDC, the Norwegian Developers Conference, and I'll yeah. also be doing an Internet of Things talk there as well. Oh, well, we'll see you there because we're going to be there. Oh, awesome. Okay, I look forward to catching up with you guys. That'd be great. That's in June, right? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. So um, I'm doing a talk there too. And so both of those conferences are very kind of Internet of Thingsy yeah. for me. And if you're in New York, you got to bump into Sarah Chips sometimes. She does Julie Bots, which is... You know, very uh, reminiscent of the bracelet. Yes. Yes. So Sarah and I are actually good friends. So that's oh, well, very go. astute. Very astute. Very good. Well, Suze, thanks very much for sharing this hour with us. It's been great. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I had a great time. All right. And we'll see you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.